Good evening and welcome to the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. And tonight's episode is uh, episode number 10 of Complimentary Cinema. Complimentary Cinema is a uh, series in which we uh, regularly watch a uh, free movie on YouTube and then uh, discuss it at length. So if you don't like spoilers, this is probably not going to be the podcast for you. We're going to spoil the hell out of this. We're going to spoil the hell out of this because uh, yeah, that's the fun of it. So, uh, so Ken, what did we watch tonight? Well, today was my pick, and uh, the film we picked was The Neighbor. The Neighbor. The Neighbor. That, that implies one neighbor. Not just any neighbor. The Neighbor. The Neighbor. Yes. The Neighbor. And the, the titular neighbor was uh, the, the actor on the cover of this film, which is how I picked the film picture of him a uh, close-up of his face and a lady in the window in the background so a little bit of a, a creeper vibe and, and that's usually how we how we pick these films uh, by whatever the uh the, the poster image on the on the youtube listing is it's like you know that looks good we haven't seen it and i, I mentioned it before we started but this movie caught my eye a previous week when i was looking at movies um i was just like hmm and then i i, I ended up picking something different but uh, I, I, it was still on there, so we got to watch it this week. Yeah, it's a good, uh, you know, it's an, it's an interesting one. I, I was about to say good, and I had to stop myself. It was it, it was good. It starts good. It was good. It starts good. And then good. it wasn't good. <laughs> it's like many things in life. It began began a promising, it, 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 it had so much potential. I think... The problem is it leaves a bad taste in the mouth where you would rather have a good taste. And that, that really sums it all up. It, it was a good movie. It was there, a good there's movie. There's a whole lot of good until in this the movie. Point. So, so The Neighbor is a, is, is a film that centers on uh, a character uh, named Mike, portrayed by William Fitchner, who's been in so many things that it, I wouldn't have time to name them all. But he's a... Well-renowned uh, character actor. This is probably the first time I've ever seen him in a starring role. He's always in some kind of supporting role. Uh, like in Contact, he's he's the blind friend to Jodie Foster. In uh, Batman, the the Dark Knight, he's uh, he's the mafia banker with the shotgun. Yes. And I mean, then, that was pretty badass. And I knew him from Prison Break, in which he was kind of the main villain character. So... Just a little taste. I mean, th- th- this guy's like I- I'd call him like a list character actor. He's he's definitely a man who's been long at the top of his game, and he's got one of those distinct faces. Uh, yes, yes, but he does not have a distinct style of acting either. You know, he he really is very versatile in spite of his uh, particular looks. And uh, so so this movie focuses on him. He's a uh, Southern Californian suburban technical writer who works from home and has kind of a uh, is in, he's living in a marriage that's really has lost its uh, flair. It's a uh, kind of I wouldn't say dried out, but it's definitely just kind of how how would you describe his marriage? Well, it's uh, it's one of those things where uh, they're each into it at a different time. They're never in sync about anything, kind of. They really aren't. So, like, at one point, you know, he gets a little, you know, a little hot about it. And then, you know, she's not interested. And then she gets a little interested one time and he's not into it. And it's just, you know, they're kind of, I mean, they're comfortable with each other. But they're, like, it's definitely a dead bedroom situation. They're just not active anymore. Um, And I will say, also, the beginning of this movie be very familiar to most people in the pandemic times of him working at home. It's very much uh, a, a current, you know, this, this would, this would uh, resonate with a lot of people right now. You know, and, and certainly, you know, this, this takes place in, in pre COVID times. Uh, the film came out in 2017, but it definitely uh, like, like his social isolation and awkwardness that he's developed. Cause you, you get the impression from his character throughout the movie that he wasn't always kind of like this henpecked husband who just, you know, stayed at home and tended to his garden when he wasn't writing. You can tell that he used to have a little more life uh, in his step and a little more uh, vigor. 
Yeah, it's definitely kind of one of those things where working from home was nice, but it's had a, a, a more negative impact on him than he realizes. You know, he is he is transformed into this just boring blank slate kind of guy. Um, but then it comes out in different inter- interactions he has with people that he's really not that way. It's just the way he comes across because he's so socially withdrawn and removed. Yeah, it just doesn't get out enough, really. Yeah. And uh, and then let's see. So his wife is played by... Uh, his wife is... Uh, the character's name is Lisa, portrayed by uh, Jean Louisa Kelly. She was in Mr. Holland's Opus, among some other things. Uh, Uncle Buck, back in 89. Um, another another main character, uh, Scott. He's uh, one, one of the new neighbors. And he was portrayed by uh, Michael... Uh, uh, where is it? Michael Rosenbaum, who was in uh, Smallville as Lex Luthor, among others. He was also an urban legend. And uh, as soon as you see Scott, you immediately want to punch him in the face. Mm-hmm. And I think they really cast him well for that because uh, Michael Rosenbaum has played. I guess he's been a little bit typecast. I mean, he's, he basically plays douchebags. That's- and this is a yet another role playing a douchebag. Yeah, this is like one of those. It it comes across so hard and so fast. He literally pulls up in a Corvette, gets out of the car, is like, "Hey, babe," <laughs> and and you imme- you immediately just want to hit him in the face with the baseball bat. Yeah, it's just something about him. Like, there's no you question know? from the beginning what kind of person he is. It's just you you immediately ju- you you hate him on sight, and you're supposed to in this film, and that's that's fine. And then his wife, uh. God, what the hell was her name? Jenna. So that's portrayed by Australian actress uh, Jessica McNamee. If I butcher that name, sue me. McNamee? McNamee. It looks like Mc... Mc, (laughs) It looks like McNamee. Old McNamee had a farm? Old McNamee had a farm and her name is Jessica. And uh, she's... uh, She, I believe, is the neighbor in question. The uh, the scantily clad woman on 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 the cover of the poster the window so uh now that we've introduced uh, some of our main people here why don't you give us a little synopsis so a lot of the film is kind of a study of mike um and his life it's uh it's very much just showing what his average daily life is like um and then the the neighbors being introduced as something that's mixing things up because you, you also kind of get the feeling that, uh, I mean, they even mentioned they, they don't really like the neighbor, the other neighbors in the neighborhood that much. They think they're kind of boring and, and uh, would rather hang out with friends uh, than the people that they live near. And that kind of sets up this whole, you know, isolation also for him. You know, he doesn't talk to the neighbors that much. He doesn't get out. Um, so it's just like his little life, which is why I say people now relate to that. A lot of people have been thrust into this life, maybe not, um, you know. I mean, it's for the best health wise now, but, um, you know, a lot of people can relate to this kind of disconnected loneliness, uh, that this guy has and he likes it because he can garden at his leisure and do his job writing. But, uh, it's definitely having an impact on his overall life. He's, he's, he's become, um, it's a little creepy. Um, he, he is socially awkward, but then he also just like stares a lot when people aren't around. He's always kind of observing things, so it kind of comes across across as a little unsettling. Like like over the years of him uh, just going through the motions, something kind of switched off. And it's and it's in this film, it's like almost part of him trying to trying to recover that in some fashion, because you can tell like he knows that something's missing in him and missing in his life. And this uh, the the new neighbors bring a little excitement, don't they? Yes. So in the beginning, um, you know, the neighbors are moving in and he just takes an interest, you know, getting to know them. They do have a little um, barbecue get together and um, just a couple times where they interact and stuff like that. They get invited over to a swim party. Just kind of doing normal neighbory, neighbory stuff, I guess. And uh, he takes he, he, he instantly becomes close with the um, with Jen, Jennifer, Jenna, Jenna, sorry. 
with Jenna, the neighbor, because she kind of like wants to get into gardening and the backyard's a mess. And obviously Mike's a good gardener. He's a great gardener. He loves, he has the tomatoes. He has the whole works. He has all the tomatoes. Yes. I mean, my mouth was watering <laughs> looking at some of those tomatoes. Oh, would have been great to have fresh tomatoes. But he really, he, he has fresh tomatoes every day, apparently. But, um, and he's quite a cook too, apparently. Yeah. Yep. Yep. He, uh, you, you mentioned, I think at some point he was kind of the, the household husband, you know? Oh, very much. The stay at home husband. The house husband, I believe, is the term. Yes. Of course, you know, there can be many terms, you know, but he, you know, he cooks for his, cooks for his, you know, career, you know, educational wife, you know, who works in education and she definitely has a lot more live, lively pep in her step than he does. Probably because she actually gets out every day and interacts with different people. She has a little bit better grip on reality, I think. A much better grip. You know, she's much more of a realist about things. Um, and he's kind of more off in some, in his head, basically, you know, dream, oh, daydreaming kind of. He's very much in his head. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's kind of the contrast that develops throughout the film is between she's being completely practical and he's getting more and more into this fantasy idea he has in his head of, of the way things are or should be. Man, isn't that a pickle to be in? And I wonder how many of you, dear listeners, are enduring the same thing right now. <laughs> so, the, as the movie develops, um, we we get the sense that there's a tension building. And it comes through in very simple ways. It's um, it's just the, the quiet time between uh, the, their everyday interactions. And um, it, it, it really starts building when the neighbors start fighting. So, like, uh, just to step back for a moment, because you raised a really good point about how quiet everything is, there's really no music to speak of for the first full hour of this film. All of the audio that you hear is all just everyday, regular noise. Cars, wind, breeze, you know, doors closing. They make really good use of that stuff. They make fantastic use of, of those atmospheric sounds. That really are the, um, the 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 audio backdrop to all of this, and it's really effective. I didn't notice it at first, and then you pointed it out about maybe twenty minutes in. How there's like no music, and it's um that serves a couple of great purposes, you know, because it really does help build the tension. It really is a great way to set the mood. And another point I was going to make is this: you know, this is kind of a lower budget film. It's a fantastic way to save on licensing. Yeah. If you have no music, you don't have to pay anybody for the music. Yes. I do think the one of the reasons I think it's a really great choice for this movie is because typically the music informs your emotions. In this movie, it does not inform your emotions. You are totally left on your own to decipher how you feel about this movie. And I think that's what I really like about this whole development phase. Um you're not sure exactly what's going to happen. Like, is is Mike crazy? Is the neighbor crazy? Um, is everyone just... Uh, are things just going to proceed normally in this film? Like, we don't really know. Uh, you get the sense that their tension is building towards something. But there's not really an indication of what that is. Like uh, like you were saying earlier, you know, when we're watching it, we just kept waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, what's going to happen? Because they keep... Because the, the tension in the film just builds incrementally and incrementally and incrementally. It's like the first time the neighbors fight. It's like, okay, that gets you on your on your edge a little bit. And then nothing quite comes of that, but he becomes, uh, uh, Mike's character becomes a little closer to Jenna. They talk, you know, and they get a little closer. And then there's another incident yeah, this- where she squabbles. And it's like, it, it, it very slowly escalates. But that, it's, it's a, the... The second fight, where it, it 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 really escalates in the fact that Mike hears someone get hit. Is it the second or third time? That might have been the third time. Okay, so the third time that the the neighboring couple fights, he hears someone get smacked, and he's in the backyard, so he hears it very clearly, and the mood just completely changes because I mean it's a difference between you know a quabbling couple, and now like someone is someone's getting hit yeah and it, it kind of like 
it just turns uh, the whole situation, you know. It's like, well, like the first couple of times that he hears a disturbance, you know, he's sitting up upstairs in his office with the window shut and everything. He can't really hear. He doesn't know what's going on, really. He doesn't know what's going on. He can't make out anything really specific. He's not really seeing anything. And he's, and even being physically in the house, he's, he's so much more separated from what's going on out, out, out and around him. And, but that third time when he is in the garden, it definitely, uh, it's a little bit of a game changer for him, you know? And, uh, that's when he goes and investigates, isn't it? Or is that, am I jumping ahead a little bit? You're jumping ahead. That's the one where he doesn't do anything. Okay. That's when he doesn't do anything. And he second guesses himself because he's like, well, should I, you know, should I have done something like, um, so he, he talks to his buddy about it. The, uh, The other recurring character, uh, I believe it's Brian. Brian. And, uh, Great name. He's just his buddy who, you know, he has a beer with. They watch sports and, you know, he meets him at a bar one of the, at one point and he's just a soundboard for him basically. And his, his neighbor's always trying to kind of guide him towards uh, uh, like, checking out the neighbor, you know, like isn't she good looking? Yeah, yeah, Brian is, uh, he, he's a little bit of a chauvinist pig, but, you know, he, he, he means well and he's very lively and he could tell that he'd, um, you know, we find out later on that he, you know, he's an old friend of Mike. You know, they go back to their teen years. You know, so it's like, you know, he he still has kept himself in in the game of life. That's where Mike has really receded away from it. And in every interaction they have, he's always trying to get him to just live a little and let loose a little and come out of his shell some more. And unfortunately, in the case of this movie. He is pushing him and pushing him in in this bad direction because he, he's pushing him towards the wrong situation. You know, he's, he's encouraging him to live in the wrong way. And I don't think he really understands that. He doesn't see what's actually happening. Um, well, he, it's, that's because Brian is not in Mike's head. Right. So he doesn't quite he doesn't know have what's enough, going on. He doesn't have enough information. He doesn't have enough information. He thinks that... Uh, I mean, like, like, like he knows, like, uh, the facts of the case, so to speak. But he just doesn't, uh, he doesn't know what's going on with uh, Mike emotionally, which is the, the the dangerous part because Mike is becoming more and more turbulent as this film goes on after years of of being glacial and placid. Exactly. So, like, uh, the next thing that builds tension that that came up in this is uh, the arrival of uh, Mike's Mike and. Uh, Lisa's son, Alex, who's about the same age as Jenna, who lives next door. And, you know, he's, he's ostensibly home from college. He's, you know, good, good looking young guy. You know, he's got some personality. He's got some, you know, he, almost every character in this film is a contrast to Mike, who we see all the time, just kind of looking around and kind of stiff and just kind of awkward, you know, and is, he's got his top the thing that I noticed about Alex right away was like he has his top button of his shirt buttoned. You don't do that. It's unforgivable. That's you just don't do that. No, I mean that might be the thing that the kids like to do nowadays, but in my day that would get your ass kicked. And you know, just whatever. Anyway, so Alex comes and you know, you know, hey, he has a you know has dinner and has a beer you know with the family and then he goes off and does stuff and you keep thinking that uh you know and he. He he meets the neighbors and kind of get becomes friends with them. Yeah, yeah, he befriends the neighbors and everything, and everything's you know going well. And you know, all, as all of this is transpiring, Mike becomes more and more suspicious of Scott, and, and he doesn't want Alex hanging around with him because he thinks that Scott is beating his wife, or you know, that not a great guy. And so she, he keeps trying to tell his wife, "This guy's not a good guy." Trying to tell the son, you know, warn him off. And everyone's like, "You're crazy! Like, why are you? Why do you care? You know, because because they're they're used. It's not your business. They're they're used to a they're used to a bloodless, you know, feckless man who just hides up in his office and types away, right? Writing technical manuals, which is let's just pause on that for a moment. It is a solitary occupation, dealing with a completely unemotional subject. Very true." Which, uh, you know, he's writing about machines and devices and it's not even about interpersonal stuff. So not even like on a theoretical level is he uh, is he stimulated in the social graces and psychology and and various interactions. And like his only hobby is the gardening, too, which is the same, you know, 
at least that one solitary at, le- at least that contains something organic and natural in its way but still it's not doing inhuman. any social favors it's so. still inhuman so as i'm saying you know so alex you know shows up and he's getting to know the neighbors and he's just constantly not around for dinner and you know there's definitely some tension there you know between alex and his parents and the family the, the the mom, Lisa, seems to be just cool. They're like, yeah, whatever. He's young. He just wants to have fun. Let him do his thing. And, you know, Mike's like, no, you know, Scott's a bad guy. And you keep waiting for that to be. You keep waiting for for that thread to really uh, make reveal itself and show you what, what's going to happen. And at this point or, you know, just after maybe like a couple of a couple scenes with Alex. We're more, we are halfway through this movie. Halfway or yeah, halfway or more, or more, more. than halfway through. Um, maybe just about. So we, this movie spends so much time developing a very interesting character and some, some believable characters. You know, this seems like a, a believable family a uh, believable situation with the neighbors next door. So we spend a lot of time building up this reality that we can all see while you can also see the fantasy going in Mike's head. Like you can see it and that's what's unsettling. Is he doesn't have to say anything for you to see exactly what emotions are behind him. Whenever he's watching the neighbor from his room, you know, while she's just doing whatever in the backyard and he's not it's he the other characters can't see it because he's not being creepy while they're around. It's always when he's in the garden or writing his books or, you know, whatever is when he gets that look in his eye. You know, you can see the wheels turning. He's trying to process all of this. Yeah, he gets that little glint in his eye, the slight smile at the corner of his mouth. And that's a uh, really such a credit to William Fitchner. Um just very masterful subtlety in how we played this character. Um, Cause like you were saying, like he, you, he doesn't have to tell you he, he really, and this, this is a great thing with, with the good acting. He shows you everything that's going on with him. He shows you what he's doing. And he's so believable in the fact that you can see that he's so awkward now. And you can also see in a couple times when he's telling stories about how things were, or whatever, how he was actually pretty warm and, you know, uh, pretty nice guy to be around. You know, you yeah, can see these two, these two warring parts of him. And, and you can definitely, you know, kind of sense the longing in him, too, for that younger, more vibrant version of himself. You know, which I think he, uh, he sees his neighbor as representing maybe a return to that, too. And um, as he becomes more engrossed with this, it becomes a problem with his marriage. And his uh, his wife ends up kicking him out because he is, as his son puts it, having a midlife crisis. Yeah. Well, and- he, he the thing that sets it off is he he oversteps his bounds. So after he has the talk about, well, I should have stepped in, or you know, he thinks to himself, "That's I like I should have done. Something. I should have done something." So the next time that the neighbors fight, he hears something break. He hears someone scream, and so he hops over the fence immediately to go in the neighbor's place to see what the hell's going on because he's he's grown close to the uh um, to to Jenna Jenna and uh is concerned for her and a little bit uh longing for her. Oh, he's very much infatuated at this point. I mean, he's deeply infatuated. Yeah. But we get the sense that it's kind of one way mostly a one-way thing. Mostly a one-way. Like she she appreciates him. She likes him. They get along. Right. But he's he's getting wanting so much more out of it than what's really there. Yeah. Which isn't quite obvious at this point in the film, but but it's obvious that, that when he goes in that uh this Scott has smacked the wife around maybe a little bit, knocked a lamp over. Um and he he goes full aggro on Mike because Mike's coming to a new house un- uninvited, Mike, yeah. Mike's come into his house uninvited and uh sticking his nose way in somebody else's business. And it's not welcome. Um, so this kind of uh, sets off the tension with between him and Scott, where now Scott's like, oh, like you you want to be with my wife, right? Like, you know, instant 
you know, wants to shove jealousy in his face and uh, just kind of be a jerk about everything. So this sets the tone for the rest of their relationship in the movie is is adversary relationship between Mike and Scott. As we're, as we're, you know, before, prior to that, it was, you know, it was still quite friendly and, and neighborly. Right. But yeah, and and, and, and his, his character, Mike's character, you know, the character of Mike did make a big uh, mistake when he went over the fence like that. Not that he went over the fence or that he went over the house, but the fact that he didn't even knock. Like he, he let himself in. That was the part too where he really crossed that line. You know, really letting himself get carried away. And that's where you can see the fantasy that he's got in his head is now spilling over into the reality. Yeah. We, you know? Yeah, he's he's not thinking things through. He's doing he's making emotional decisions at this point. And the, and you know, his wife said like, "Why didn't you call the police? You know, what you you sh- you shouldn't be involved in this." Yeah. You know, what are you doing? Um so she's kind of trying to rein him back in like come back to reality. And he, uh, he, he just can't cause he's kind of gone by then. She it, even tries to get him to promise mm-hmm. like, Hey, promise me you'll call the cops next time. And he can't do that because he's too emotionally invested in Jenna now. So, uh, yeah. So he ends up, uh, getting sent to a motel, you know, and kicked out and he's, you know, kind of, kind of thinking about what his next step is. And he starts Facebook stalking Jenna and. And this is the point where he, he really bottoms out as far as just being really pathetic. Um, and like he calls the son to tell him like that they're, they're separated and, and the son's just like, yeah, dad, she kicked you out. Like, like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> oh, like, well, you know, we just need some time apart. There's no you know? sympathy at all for his dad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Alex is very much like, yeah, can you guys just like fix this? Because this is weird. You know, yeah. mom says you're having a midlife crisis. Oh, well, you know, the, a lot of Mike's character, I mean, you, you like him and you sympathize with him, but a lot of it is just, oh, uh, uh. Yeah, he, he's very much one of those. It's funny, too, because typically, like, the Corvette symbolizes the midlife crisis, so it's kind of funny that the neighbor is the one that's always pushing the Corvette, and he's, all, like, the one that's not interested. Oh, but Mike's would normally be an ideal client for him. Exactly. Right? Which is why he pushes it so hard. It's like, hey, if you don't want a Corvette, I got something else. It'll beat that Toyota. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite. You know, it's a flip flipping of that um, trope. Yeah. You know, you just, it's just funny because, you know, you see all around Mike, all these characters with like this inner confidence. You know, his buddy Brian has it in spades. The neighbor Scott has it. His son has it. His wife has it. His wife wears the pants and his wife is like uh, in charge of her destiny and in in command of herself. And the only other one who's kind of like adrift on the sea a little bit is Jenna, but only to a point. You know, she still seems to have more control over herself than he does. So, so yeah, so he gets, so he gets kicked out. He goes to the flea bag motel, which not that bad, honestly. I mean, there's, I mean, it, it's got a pool. There's some palm trees. I only heard one uh, police car in the background hmm. during that scene. So, you know, not uh, not the worst place. Maybe not the best. It was okay. But not the worst. You know, and uh, he then decides uh, after being there for a little bit, he's like, oh, I'm going to go back to the house and make dinner for my wife. And he brings uh, flowers and everything and, you know, talks, talks to Jenna a, a bit in the backyard. Because, also we didn't mention, but uh, before when Mike was moving out, it turned mm. out that Jenna was also talking about moving out because um, Jenna and Mike had a, a, a kind of little outing where they went out, you know, she was trying to get him to help her with the garden. So they went out to a gardening place and he was telling her stories about, you know, how he used to be and kind of stuff like that. And they were just getting very close and... Uh, they they smoked a little herb and uh, got a little comfy and she was telling started opening up about what Scott was up to and how she felt like maybe I need to go away or like you know get out of this like maybe this was a mistake and kind of in a moment of weakness for both of them they end up kissing and so that that kind of uh, turns things also again like um 
like there's no way this can end well you know this is all uncomfortable and uh so you you get the sense you know that you know she's gonna move away and he's gonna move away and he thinks maybe this is my chance like maybe i can make this happen we can have we can have something you know this might actually go somewhere but uh it turns out when he comes back home that she is staying because she's pregnant and everything's better and she's happier and 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 you can just see it absolutely rip him up inside. Yes. You know, and it's, then that moment yeah. is incredible. It is. Because he's he just, he goes from like happy and just really happy to see her again, you know, genuinely happy to slowly uh, you know, just his face dying basically. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, that's so wonderful." And then to and fake just, happy. And just and just hearing just hearing it in his voice and everything. Just seeing this guy just get absolutely destroyed like that. Man, that's rough, you know? But, yeah, so, and then after that, he goes into the house, you know, and tries to, you know, make his wife dinner. And she's just like, what the hell are you doing here? She just brushes him off. It's like, we're separated. Why Why are you here? And he can't give her an answer because he's not really there for her. He's there for Jenna. You know, using, uh, using uh, this dinner to reconcile as a ruse just to get back into proximity. And a bit, I think he just wants his life back, you know. Well, sure, you know. I mean, I mean, who wants to live in a who wants to live in a hotel? I mean, even really. if he, even if he can't be with Jenna, he still wants to come back, you know. Just well, sure, have his life back. It's where all this stuff is. But this is the problem: is that he has no bargaining position, and that's where you know he tries to make his wife dinner and bring her flowers and like play that angle. But he really has no like his son doesn't care, the wife doesn't care. There's no one that's like wants him to come back. Yeah, he just uh, he was just kind of he wasn't in the way before when things were, uh, I guess, normal before the neighbors moved in. But he wasn't he wasn't uh, he wasn't in the way, but he wasn't really appreciated. And he wasn't, you know, certainly all that valuable, you feel like. And um Perhaps when, uh, you know, after his wife realizes he's getting mentally lost in this, this mental fuge that he, uh, she just, you know, like, Hey, I, I need, I need to not deal with this anymore. And then he still comes back after just a couple of days. Like he's not even, you know, taking her concern seriously either. Yeah. I mean, she can see that he's just completely lost. Yeah. Like there's no reason he should be there. Um, you know, he should just let her have her space. You know, or at least call and be like, hey, can I make dinner? Can we talk? And instead he just, you know, shows up, lets himself in, makes dinner, he starts cooking. She shows up. She's like, I have like student teacher conference night tonight. But it shows you like he, it shows you, it keeps reinforcing. He's in this fantasy version in his head where he thinks he's doing these good things and everyone else around him keeps bringing reality back in. No, this is not what you do. This isn't how you do this. Like... This is not a good time to talk. I've worked all day and, uh, you know. I'm going to have two more hours of meetings. Yeah. I don't have time for dinner. I don't, I don't have time have, for I dinner. I definitely don't have time to talk about that. Don't have time to talk about it now. Don't have time to talk about it when I'm done. And he's just sad and lonely and disappointed. So he eats his little meal by himself. And uh, is that's kind of going to be the end of it. You yeah. know, he's just going to go off on his own way and... Uh, you would think that would be it, you know. He's should, lost the fight. Should have been it. And he uh he, tail after, tucked between his legs. You know, he he cleans up his little dishes and then he uh goes out the front door. And then he sees Jenna again in the uh in the uh front lawn. And I was just I was kind of yelling at the TV like get in your car and drive. Just get in your car and drive away. And uh I don't think that that's what he did, Ken. Instead, uh, he took one look at her and he starts making a beeline for her like, hey, Jenna, you know, he's still sad. He's still crestfallen. But, you know, you can tell like there's still that like that puppy dog fa- fascination he has with her. You know, and they, and they talk for a minute and then Scotty Scott, the mean drunk, comes out and starts yelling at her. Fully loaded. Fully loaded. 
you know, it's like, get back inside. And, you know, she's like, you know, hey. You know, she's smoking. She's and she's smoking pregnant. And, so, you know, that's not ideal. And that's, you know, and that's pissing Scott off. And, well, Mike can't help but just butt in one last time, can he? You know, and they have, uh, you know, and he gets hit in the face and, and knocked down to the ground. And then Scotty drags his wife back inside. And uh, that should have been the end of it. And uh, he should have taken his wife's advice and then called the police. Did he call the police, Ken? No, he didn't. He didn't call the police. What did it, he do instead, Ken? Well, at this point, the fantasy in his mind is in full swing. And he thinks he can just white knight this all the way to the end and be the hero. So he goes in after them. After, you know, they already previously being told to get out of their house and not come in. Um, he goes in to try to save her. Because, you know, Scott's still yelling at, at, at Jenna and um, so goes in and smacks, you know, Scott, which just makes him more angry and really hits him, you know. And, you know, and, and, and Scott's, you know, quite a bit younger than him. Yes. You know, much better physical shape and just much more angry, you know, and, that's, drunk. That's, and drunk. And that's just not an even match for an older, meek, middle-aged man. That's a completely unfair fight. So he, he kind of knocks the crap out of Mike. Mike hits the floor. And then Mike grabs a knocked over golf club and like really, really gives uh, Scott a concussion or worse. Yeah, I think worse. Or worse. And Scott ends up in a, in a pile of well, pile a pool of blood in the kitchen and Jenna freaks out and, you know, screams at Mike to get out of her house and leave. And I think it's, it's only at that moment. It's only at that moment that he realizes that, Oh God, I went too far. And not only that he went too far, but that she, she can never be on his side. Even if she's getting abused by her husband, she could never be on Mike's side. In the end, you know, she, as soon as she sees Scott injured, she is 1000% behind him. Yeah. I mean, her husband. She, yeah. she's concerned, yeah. you know, that's her husband and, uh, you know, the father of her unborn child. And this is the moment where Mike finally realizes what he's done. And like, you can see it, you know, he's finally realizing how messed up this all is. It, it like finally took to that. And he uh, he goes back to his uh his old house and goes sits in his garden and looks at one of his amazing delicious tomatoes and just hears the cops coming and that's it. It ends very abruptly. It ends pretty abruptly. I mean, there's not much. By the time we get to that point, there's not much else to to happen. So it's, uh, it's not like you're surprised that it ends, but it does end abruptly. And uh, so much of this film was like anxiety and tension and suspense and just kind of building and building and building. And it never really pays off. It's funny because after talking about it, I think I appreciate it more. I do too, but when you're watching it, it doesn't ah, like, so like going back, like when his wife, uh, kicks him out, it really felt like a, how did you put we, it? Well, we had to stop it when it happened because it was so far out there. Now we, we kind of, I mean, we made it make narrative sense the way we talked about it. But the fact that the wife kicks him out at this at that point in time in the story was really weak writing because they've established throughout the film, even though they're on separate pages, that they are a comfortable couple. And they've been together for a very long time. They're they're not like It's not like they fight. They don't fight. They're just, you know, they get to, they got to that complacent part of their relationship. Yeah. They're just incredibly, incredibly Comfortable to the point of boredom, but they're not like miserable and they're not at each other's throats and they're not 
particularly unhappy. They're just not thrilled. Right. And it it really does seem like with how much they talk otherwise and everything, it just doesn't seem, it seemed, it felt out of character for her. And it just seem, seemed out of character for their marriage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If someone is, and I, and I said this at the time, if someone is, if your husband's going through a midlife crisis, are you going to kick him out so we can go stay in a seedy hotel? No. That that's not what you at least at least you know like how I was raised that's not what you would do. That is the last thing you would do is kick someone to the curb so they can indulge every bad uh impulse that they're having. Which in a, in a way is kind of what ends up happening. And yeah, exactly. It just reinforces his fantasy and uh, you know, non-reality basically. And like it doesn't make sense to you because she kicked him out so she could do what? They already were living separate lives. Like they already were hardly together anyway at meal times and And they slept in the same bed. And catching up at bedtime. Yeah. Like it that was the weakest and we like literally had to stop the film just to discuss it then because it was like up until that point, the writing was very solid. In the movie. It really was. And it was kind of keeping you guessing. Now it's kind of like, cause I kept wondering like, Ooh, is Jenna trying to like manipulate Mike to like kill her husband? Yes. You know, in, in, in a previous conversation, Lisa talked about how Jenna talked to her about doing yoga. Yeah. And it's like, you wonder Ooh, is Jenna, is Jenna pulling uh, his wife strings too and playing both sides against the middle. And so I, and the way that it was the way that, because you didn't see when Jenna and Scott were fighting, you never saw so it. you could you don't know exactly what happened either. You only know as much as he heard, which is like if you heard someone in the next room over or yeah. the next house over fighting about something. So, you know, we both had a suspicion that there was something else going on or something deeper or, you know, maybe there might be a twist in here somewhere. You know, may, maybe Jenna was really the the particularly bad apple, you know, with her douchebag husband. Maybe she was trying to scheme something. I mean, we 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 had some different ideas on what was going on. So when when his wife very uncharacteristically just kicks her husband out just because he went over to maybe prevent or stop some domestic violence. It's like it just uh, that I, was, it was I, very weak. It was it was it was very weak, but I was at least holding out for like, well, maybe this will actually make sense later, but it never really does. And I think the problem is and that is the problem with the way that things ramped up at the end. And I think why the ending wasn't as satisfying is because we needed a more severe event when she kicked him out. Yeah, it never really came. She needed to kick him out because she found out that he kissed the neighbor. Yeah. There needed to be something else there. Yeah. Because no one else ever knew anything about that either. Yeah, she she never knew that he smoked pot with Jenna. He never knew that, that they made out. At least, not that we ever see on on the screen. No, they don't so even talk. So they, yeah, it's so yeah. It just yeah. So, so it, it was unwarranted. I felt, but they, they could have so easily fixed that. They could have if, if if you know if uh, um, she saw them kiss or something sure, like sure. that. So I'm 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 not saying he didn't deserve it. Right. You know. But, you know, based on the information that she had and from talking to him, it, it was us, uncalled for. It took us right out. It just took us right out. It was uncalled for. It was unwarranted. It did not feel right at all. And it didn't feel in keeping with what we knew of these characters so far. It's just they needed to earn it a little bit more. They did. And they, they just kind of jumped the gun. And on it could have worked fine. Yeah. You know, it could have been that maybe that that was the scene that was written or, or filmed and it just didn't make it into the cut. Yeah. You know, that that's all that's also a possibility. And I think probably that, that might be it too, because they spent so much time on everything else that it is very much a, a, a build up development movie. You spend a lot of time just watching life happen. And so it isn't the most thrilling um, because it's just all it is is like normal life with this underlying tension and awkwardness. And since the focus is on that, I could definitely see, you know, maybe they made made some changes along the way. Um, but I don't know. That scene feels like it was how it was intended. It just feels slightly out of place and not quite earned. Yeah, I agree 100%. So anyway, that 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 was our first hint that maybe this wasn't 
not going to be quite the movie that we were hoping to to have because tonight. Up until that point, the writing was very good. It really was, you know, and it, it was it, it was mostly it was good engrossing. after that. Yeah, mostly. Um, until the end, which, um, throughout the whole movie, we we also discussed this was a a slow build up, and for this movie to really pay off in the end, it needed to get crazy at the end, and it didn't get crazy. You know, he did. He does, you know, obviously get in this physical altercation and smack him, Scott, with the club, which makes things real um, and like snaps him out of it, snaps Jenna out of it. But it it doesn't feel like that's we. it felt like we were building up something more than that. It really did. I mean, from like a realistic point of view, what actually happened on the screen is probably much more likely as to what would actually have happened in real life if these were real people. Right. But yeah, this is also entertainment. This is also art. So it, it does kind of beg the the question why we didn't get get a little more out of that at the end. They could have done. They definitely could have done a little more. So I mean, like I'd say, you know, three quarters of a really good movie. You know, it was. Uh, I'd I'd recommend it. You know. Yeah, I think, I think it was fine. It, it was. I fine. think that's my, that's the problem. Yeah, it's fine. Is that the ending was fine. But it was not great. And really, it could have had, you know, it was building towards something really great. Yeah, this, like, I, like I said at the beginning, this movie had a ton of potential. A ton of potential. Yeah. So, but like you're saying, though, they, I think they just played it more realistic. And he did have the rude awakening at the end um, where you just, you, you're left with, you know, he's going to face the consequence of this. And, you know, life is going to go on for everyone else. You know, he's ruined obviously ruined Scott's life. Um, Possibly even ended it. Maybe he deserved it. Maybe yeah. not. But uh, he's ruined his own life. Yeah. I mean, regardless of whether or not his neighbor deserved it, it wasn't Mike's place to judge him in that in that regard. Yeah. You know, and he, he really stepped in and, and, you know, made a judgment. Yeah. it's He really only destroyed his own life and, and that of Scott and the woman that he cares about. Yeah. So, uh Let's look at some other uh, some other uh, things here. So, uh, best performance, worst performance. So, well, I think Mike has to be the best performance. William Fitchner, absolutely. He uh, he was top notch, a plus. Um, definitely makes you uncomfortable consistently throughout this film. You know, you never had to guess his emotions. You could always see it. You know, it was always in his performance, and you know his little sheepishness, uh, kind of when he's with people. And uh, when he's alone, he's very intense. Yes. I couldn't have said that better. Yeah. Now, worst performance, which we're going to, I guess that's really the most extraneous character at this point. Most useless, most extraneous character. I think we uh, agree on that one. The son, Alex. Yes. Who. uh, Another way said opportunity. He ultimately served no purpose other than to show what a weak father mike's character was and not even as much as uh i i I feel like the character could have done a lot more than just that one little that little facet and i think we both suspected that he was going to be more involved into into the final act he really should have been and he is not there for the final act at all he's completely gone yeah he's completely gone for the final act where is he we don't know it doesn't matter because the character doesn't matter. Yeah, he just—he didn't really serve a purpose in the end. He really didn't. He was just there to just be like, "Yeah, I don't really want to hang out with you, Dad." That's really—that's his whole character right there. And just to get involved with the neighbors to make him uncomfortable. Yeah, that was it. Just just to build a little tension and just make Mike look like a like a like a crappy father. And that's pretty much all he all we got out of that. Yeah, we could have we could have been without him, and it would have been fine if he never showed up. And I think, uh, let's see, so for, I don't know, do we still do the best plot point, worst plot point? Um, On occasion. For this one, I don't know. Uh, well, for this one, I mean, the worst plot point, I think we just discovered with the uh, the the kicking out. Yeah, that's definitely the worst. Um, best, um, I think making... 
making Mike somewhat relatable um, when he's just being himself um, and like how they show how he has, he has in his head these fantasies, but he's not willing to admit them to his friends and family. Like, you or know, his wife when his wife challenges on him directly too. Exactly. Because, you know, when he's out with his friend, his, his buddy's like, I know you, you look at that neighbor. And Mike's like, oh, no, I would never do that. When we know all along. Oh, yeah, we know. He's we been know. watching her yeah. and longing for her a little bit. And, uh, yeah, I think that's the best part is how they show that. Like, you, we, the audience, sees very clearly um, exactly what he thinks and feels. And uh, all the other character, all the people in his life are con- trying to say, like, hey, like, we, we see, see it, it too. We see it, too. Yeah, they <laughs> all see it. he is in complete denial to everyone else. Yeah, he's, yeah, he, he, he's so... He's so transparent to everyone but himself in a, in a way. Yeah. Because he just can't admit to himself what he's feeling and what it is that he wants. True of so many of us. So, final score and recommendation. Uh, what do you think? Like one out of ten? I mean, I'd give this a six. Yeah, I think six is fair. Yeah, I think six is fair. I mean, I'd, I, I will say it is very well made. It um, is. We didn't kind of discuss this, but uh, the, the, the house is very nice. The, um, the way it's shot is all very nice. Cinematography and set direction is A+. plus. Yep. The building, the tension is all great in the way they show things and the way they don't show things because they keep not showing uh, what's going on with the neighbors when, mm-hmm. when fights or whatever stuff is going down, but they show the neighbors whenever he's creeping on them. So it's always you get that. Fe- the only time you actually see them or get information about them is from his point of view. Which, uh, that's a great little observation there because you, you really... You only see everything through his lens, for sure. You never see any scenes apart from him. So, in a lot of ways, we become the creeper. Oh, my God. Along with We're him. the creeper. And and you really could have called this film The Creeper. Yeah. Or, you know, two hours of anxiety. <laughs> Either one would work. It wasn't quite two hours, but oh, close enough. Contagious anxiety. Contagious anxiety. So uh, I guess that wraps it up for this week's episode of Complimentary Cinema here on the O&M Stockroom. Thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, please feel free to leave a comment uh, down below. Let us know what you thought of this film, if you've seen it, or if you uh, enjoyed our little review. I mean, we're not going to read these anyway, but, you know, humor us anyhow. That just means you should do it even more. Just do it even, just do it even more. All right, well, that wraps it up for uh, this week's episode of Complimentary Cinema here on the O&M Stockroom. We're your hosts, Brian McGarry. And Ken O'Malley. Join us uh, next week for another uh, free movie from YouTube that we'll uh, talk about way more long, uh, much longer than it really deserves. But that's what we're here for. Until next time.